Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Brenda Bergeron, who's the Deputy Commissioner with the Connecticut Department of Energy Services and Public Protection. Deputy Commissioner, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. Thanks for coming down. How have you been? Good. A little Good. busy lately. Little oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You think we're in the middle of a pandemic or something? Just a bit. Yeah, maybe. So Deputy Commissioner, tell us a little bit about your background and we're also gonna talk about the agency over the next half hour. Sure. Um, I was, uh, I'm originally an English major and okay. I was, I'm a lawyer and I was the lawyer for this division for 16 years. Okay. And then about a month ago, our former Deputy Commissioner left and I was offered the opportunity to be the Deputy Commissioner and I'm very excited to be here. Very nice. So what exactly does your agency do? That's a great question. So we have the whole agency is the Department of Emergency Services and Public Protection. And there are six divisions. Um, we're one of them. So the six divisions are the state police, um, the Commission on Fire Prevention and Control, the state lab that does the forensic work for the state, the uh, statewide emergency telecommunications division, the office, police officer standards and training board, which is both the Connecticut State Police Academy and also the academy for all of the, uh, of the local law enforcement. And then our division, which is emergency management and homeland security. Wow, you guys are a very busy agency. Yes, we are. Yeah, very... It's public safety writ large, as they say. And Absol in our division, we do, um, we have emergency management and homeland security. So. Yeah. Um, we have operations, we have training and exercise, we have strategic planning and grants, we have community preparedness, um, we have a radiological emergency preparedness unit, um, and we have, uh, we do school security, we do all sorts of things, including helping to uh, run the state emergency operations center on behalf of the governor when we're in an activation. So in other words, when, so in other words, when we have a winter storm or whatever the yes. case may be. That's exactly right. So today, one of the things we did was we, um, we administer the statewide uh, extreme cold weather protocol. So when there's weather that's coming, like it's coming in the next 48 hours, when yep. the temperatures are single digits and the wind chill is below zero, sure. then we have a protocol that we recommend to the governor be instituted. And upon that recommendation, then there's a process set up where a person who is, does not have shelter can call 211 if they can't find a shelter and 211 will help find them a local shelter if needed. So it's a whole process. Everything with emergency management is about collaborating and coordinating with local, state, federal agencies, the private sector, the public, nonprofit organizations. It's really a, um, a wonderful opportunity to collaborate and coordinate with, with all sorts of organizations. Absolutely. Now, you said you had six divisions. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about each division? So in the larger agency, the six divisions are the state police, yeah. um, the scientific services, the um, fire prevention and control. So Connecticut doesn't have a state fire department, or but they do have an organization that helps to oversee all of the uh, regulations related to fire service, provide the training, things like that. Um, statewide emergency telecommunications, which basically helps to regulate the E911 system. Um, and who did I leave out? 
and the, the training units. So the, the police officer standards and training, which is for both local police and then for the Connecticut State Police Academy as well. In our division, we have emergency management and homeland security. So on the emergency management side, which um, has been very, very active lately, we have uh, training programs that include um, school security, training on school security. We have um, a great deal to do lately with regard to activations. So since March of 2020, we've been activated with regard to COVID response. Right. And over the last several weeks, we've really been focusing on, as this spike has happened, we're working to focus on getting out to communities, to schools, to, um, to vulnerable populations, uh, masks and test kits so that people can stay as safe as, safe as possible during this pandemic uprise. Um, in addition to that though, during the course of the last several years, um, we've also had a number of uh, severe storms that have resulted in us getting major disaster declarations from the president. Um, and some of the events that have happened over the last year include, um, year or so, include Isai East, um, which we got a declaration for. And then most recently, the remnants of Hurricane Ida, which when they came up through Connecticut, really caused some uh, catastrophic flooding, particularly in Fairfield County. And there are two types of federal FEMA assistance that we most often apply for. Public assistance, which is for uh, state agencies, municipal agencies, and certain uh, private nonprofits that provide a public service. Okay. The second type is individual assistance, which is for homeowners and other residents when they suffered damages. And this year we were able, through working with the governor's office um, and our congressional delegation, to get a presidential major disaster declaration that included the individual assistance, which has resulted in uh, several million dollars of assistance going directly to residents of, uh, of several counties in Connecticut. Well, yeah, they're very, very busy. Sound like a very busy very busy agency. We are, and that's that's what we do. That you see on the front line. Yeah. When when all these disasters happen, um, we then implement um, the disaster assistance programs, which okay. involve a great deal of um, administration and management of grant programs. So, for example, um, right now the state has brought in um, through our through FEMA about $270 million in um, uh, federal money to support the COVID response, both uh, for hospitals, for state agencies, and for municipalities. And that money can be very important to keep the systems going as we try to recover from disaster. Um, we also have grants that include uh, school security grants, which are state grants that are established by um, legislation and provide school safety and security um, improvements for municipalities across the state. And now also including public school districts, also private schools as well. And this year we've begun to implement a nonprofit security grant, which is again, state grant money to assist nonprofit organizations in enhancing their security. So that's another area that we're involved. Let's talk about a nonprofit security grant. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So there was a recognition, unfortunately, in this day and age that um, in addition to schools needing um, enhanced security, 
nonprofit uh, associations might need it as well. So whether we're talking about houses of worship or domestic violence shelters or other uh, organizations like that, they may need to enhance some of their security. And so the state legislature um, passed legislation and the governor signed it into law that gives um, those organizations the opportunity to self-assess and determine what their um, security gaps are. And then there are certain things they can do to enhance their security and we help to implement that program. Now you also mentioned at the beginning of the show that you guys are responsible for cold weather protocol. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that and how that works? Yes, so that's a, um, again, this is a great example of how emergency management operates because it brings together municipal agencies um, and nonprofits like United Way 211 and Red Cross and the Connecticut Coalition to End Homelessness and then state agencies like um, Department of Social Services, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services and Department of Housing along with DEMIS to work to make sure that when it's very, very cold like this, people will be able to find a place to stay if they are homeless. Um, and so we, we work with those organizations to provide um, the access to 211, which then keeps a list, of, we keep a list of all of the emergency shelters or warming centers that have been set up by municipalities. And 211 has that list and they can um, refer someone who calls to the closest facility that they might be located near. Now the warming shelters for the cold weather, are they open around the clock or are they only open certain hours? Or does it depend it, on the community? It depends. it depends on the community. And what we did this year, which is interesting, I think based on some of the climate issues that we face, is we also set up a severe hot weather protocol so that there would be cooling centers available. Ah. One of the things that we discovered over the course of a number of the disasters that we faced in Connecticut is that most Connecticut residents would prefer to go to a center to charge their uh, electronic equipment, whether right. it's uh, their, you know, their computers or their cell phones or whatever they need for medical equipment, take a shower someplace, get something to eat, and then go back home. Most people do not want to stay overnight in a shelter if they can avoid it. No. And so what the municipalities have done and done a phenomenal job of is to create regional um, mass, mass uh, uh, multi-jurisdictional shelters, multi-jurisdictional warming centers, um, sometimes in one town, sometimes maybe a bunch of towns working together, each of them providing a service at that, at that shelter or center location. And those have been very, very successful in assisting uh, residents during times of power outages, extreme heat or extreme cold. Now, how have you guys been doing since the start of the pandemic to where we are now? So we've been very, very active. Um, as emergency management, again, we help to coordinate things. We work, we are the connection to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to FEMA. Um, we work with our public health partners. Public health is the lead. Um, and then we are one of the support agencies, so we help to um, get the resources where they're needed. We collect resource requests. Right now, we've been collecting a lot of requests from municipalities for masks, um, and we collect it. We, we help to distribute it. We work very closely with the Connecticut National Guard in that, in that effect, and they, they work with us to help get the materials out. We're set up into five emergency management uh, regions, okay. and those are um, across the state. Since we don't have county government, we have 
these five DEMIS regions, we have a regional coordinator in each of those, and that regional coordinator reaches out on a very regular basis, um, it, uh, mostly daily probably, to the, to the um, municipalities in his region to, figure, to find out what their needs are, to have them communicate and pass along to us what their resources are that they might need, what their issues are that they're facing, and then we help to try to find the resources to support their needs. Deputy Commissioner, would you mind sticking around for another segment? Absolutely. We'll be right back. Thank you. Information is power, especially in times of uncertainty. In the age of 24-7 breaking news headlines, viral tweets, and social media rumors, we all need to take extra steps to verify information before accepting and sharing what we read online. Whether inaccurate information is purposely posted to deceive or defraud individuals or shared unknowingly by people who believe it's true, misinformation can be dangerous. Is there a vaccine? Are certain blood types immune? Are additional stimulus checks coming? When will we open back up? Questions are expected. And they deserve accurate answers. We need you to rely on information from official sources and credible subject matter experts. For both Connecticut-specific information and federal resources, visit ct.gov backslash coronavirus. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti, along with Deputy Commissioner Brenda Bergeron. Deputy Commissioner, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, Deputy Commissioner, I know we talked a little bit about this in, during the first segment. Can you tell us about the agency and exactly what your responsibilities are and maybe in detail a little bit about each responsibility? Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about the State Emergency Operations Center. Yeah. What um, my division does is to keep it running to, and to, um, to operate it when we're in an emergency situation. So when you see the pictures of the governor at a podium with the two flags behind him and the, um, the, the state officials behind him, that's at the um, Emergency Operations Center, which is located in the Hartford Armory. Yep. Um, so we have what we call the fishbowl, which is where the governor sits um, with his uh, staff and his unified command, which is made up of the state agency heads. Um, we have what are called task forces, emergency support function task forces. When we have a very large uh, emergency, then those task forces are activated and their leads are also sitting in advising the governor as well as when we have um, storms involving um, uh, natural hazards like uh, electrical outages, then we may also have at the Emergency Operations Center representatives of various utilities so that they can, they can be there and advise as well. It's a very fast moving environment. It's a very um, successful environment where we use what's called WebEOC to collect resource requests and situation reports from municipalities so that we're able to respond very quickly on the resources that they need. If we can't have those resources at the local or state level, then we have a number of different mutual aid systems that we use. One is called the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, which is an agreement among all the states of the United States to assist each other if in a time of an emergency. So we can put in what's called an EMAC request and ask for assistance from um, states near us to states all the way across the country. And an example I can think of where this was used was we had some storms uh, several years ago. We had some really um, uh, record-breaking snowstorms, one after another. 
And at one point, there was so much snow that at the time, the Department of Transportation plows were not sufficient to move snow off of the, um, the highways. Right. And so we actually had an EMAC request in, and the state of Pennsylvania sent us these enormous snow plows that were used to move the snow off of the highways. Since that time, the Department of Transportation in Connecticut has purchased um, one or more of those plows, and we actually sent them on an EMAC request up to the Buffalo, New York area when they were overwhelmed with snow in one particular concentrated area. So that's one aspect of mutual aid. Another aspect of mutual aid that we have is we have what's called the International Emergency Management Group, which is a compact between the New England states and the eastern provinces of Canada, where we can assist each other if needed across border. So there's a, a number of different things we do just within the emergency operations center and its response mechanism itself. Wow. And now what now exactly as far as you, we talked about this in the first segment, you guys are very instrumental about helping out with the mask mandate, correct? And the mask, oh. mask, mask, mask distribution. distribution. Yes, yep. So a lot of what we do, everything we do is under what's called the National Incident Management System, okay. which divides up into different disciplines um, and different subject matter areas, if you will. So PSF-7 is resource support. And that's really has a lot to do under a situation like this with logistics, um, determining what we have in inventory, how we can get it out to the people that need it. And so that's one of the areas that we've worked very, very hard on um, over the last few years. And again, we have this regional concept, which is fantastic. Each, each of the Demis regions has a regional emergency planning team, and each of those teams has the same emergency support functions that we have at the state level. So they often can assist each other between towns within that REPT, within that Demis region. And then if they can't solve that issue, they may go to a different Demis region. And if that doesn't work, then it cut, the request comes up to the state. And right now, what we've been seeing is um, the ability to send out N95 masks across mm -hmm. the state sure. to various organizations and um, institutions, and also getting out the test kits so that people are able to test if they are symptomatic um, or you know, under other circumstances where they might be at high risk, like as a first responder, um, school, school age children, um, teachers, things like that. So we, we work across the board to make sure people are as safe as they can. I was gonna say recently we had some weather here in the state of Connecticut. How, how, did, you, did, how did you guys handle that? Did you guys assist in any way? So yes, absolutely. So one of the things we do is we activate the emergency operations center in anticipation of a storm. And sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't. Right. So this year, when we were all getting ready, if you remember for Hurricane Henri, mm -hmm. um, it looked like it was going to be a direct hit on the state. So one of the things we do is we track the storms. We worked with the federal government to get a what's called a pre-landfall disaster declaration in place so that we would be able to have um, a direct federal assistance if we needed it. Um, we had all of that in place and the storm took a wiggle and a wobble and went off in a different direction. And so we were anticipating needing to help, but we didn't have to. On the other hand, the remnants of Ida, which was not a full hurricane when it came here, brought right. enormous amounts of flooding. Um, and so what we would be, we had the emergency operations center was activated. 
we might do things like have the urban search and rescue team go out to assist, um, which has capabilities for um, looking for individuals. Um, unfortunately, um, there was a need for that with the state trooper who passed away um, uh, during the storm. Right. Um, we just never know exactly what we're going to be asked for or how we're going to respond, but we'll always uh, try to be prepared to answer any call that's brought in to us. Now, how, how, do you, how close do you guys work, especially with the, what's going on with the COVID and the COVID responses? So we are one of the major support agencies to the Department of Public Health. Um, we, we work with them on a daily basis. We operate, sometimes during the COVID environment, we've operated what we call a virtual state emergency operations center. Right. So really in the last two weeks, from just before Christmas all the way through the holiday uh, season, the holiday week, we were operating on a daily basis to coordinate with the Department of Public Health and other agencies um, to assist in the response capabilities that the state has um, to, to answer the need that's developed as a result of this, um, this most current uptick. Now, as far as COVID, the COVID, the COVID response going forward, what, what is your agency going to be up to to get the word spread about what's going on? So one of the things we try to do is we, we have what's called ESF 15, which is public information external affairs. So one of the things that the governor's office does working with other state agencies is to make sure we coordinate the message that goes out to the public. So for example, recently, um, for those that were in the know, there, some, of, some N95 masks from a particular company were recalled. And so there was some questions raised about whether or not the masks that were being distributed uh, by us most recently were within that recall. And so we're able to, to uh, present messaging and send out to people to say, hey, don't worry about these masks. They, um, the, the number, the lot numbers and um, serial numbers were checked by the Connecticut National Guard. Of the several million masks that we had in the warehouse, there was a certain set that were, were under the recall and those were sent back to the company. And so all of the masks that are being um, uh, distributed now are not part of that recall. So that's the kind of messaging and rumor control that we do on top of everything else that takes place. And we always try to anticipate. So as, um, as just for the example, that severe cold weather, you know, mm -hmm. we, we saw the weather forecast, so we put that out in advance of it so that people have an opportunity to be protected. The same with the COVID situation, try to get things out as much as possible so that we can help people to prepare because the message in emergency management is not just response, but is preparedness, mitigation, resilience, and recovery. So we're always working on that um, cycle of emergency preparedness and response and recovery so that we can learn from things that happened in the past and help to make us more resilient as a state and as communities. I did not realize that there was a mask recall there was one of um, some time ago of one okay. particular brand, and it was very, very. It was a very isolated a number, and so we were able to um, to address that, have them all removed long before this distribution process took place. So, in a very positive way. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about the school security grant. Yes. So it, there's really a couple pieces to school security. Sure. Um, certainly in the wake of Sandy Hook, which was my alma mater, 
um, okay. they, they, um, the community came together and thought about how we could make our schools safer. And so the legislature passed a public act that created a requirement for um, each school to have a school security plan and to follow some school security plan standards that were um, uh, promulgated partially by the legislature and partially by a working group that we put together of school security um, experts, including uh, different state agencies, local officials from different schools across the state. Um, and we worked together and created these plan standards. And we now have a template, a school security plan template that all schools can use um, to, to make themselves safer and to have a, a standardized plan in place in case of an emergency. The grant program is a second piece of this, and that allows state, uh, state schools, public schools, to request funding to reimbursement for um, enhancements to their security. And the, those are kind of laid out, the types of security enhancements that can be, are eligible, are laid out in the public act. And then we work to um, work with the with the school districts to make sure that they get their funding when they can um, when they've made the payments and then they ask for reimbursement from us. So it's a steady process, and we are actually in round five of um, of the school security grant program. Now, if people want more information on the agency, where can they go, and what can they find on the website? So our our website is www.ct.gov/demis. Um, there's all sorts of interesting things in there. Um, you can look up what we do. You can see all the different, I, I only addressed really a couple of the areas that we deal with. Right. So you can see all the other areas. You can also, um, there's an app called CT Prepares um, that can help you with that. And I, and I saw on the commercial in between our segments, <laughs> um, the ct.gov slash coronavirus, which mm -hmm. is very handy on information um, pertinent to current advice on the on the COVID. So that's a really good place to look to. Well, Deputy Commissioner, thanks for some time and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, I was glad to do it. No problem, thank you, ma'am. On behalf okay. of Deputy Commissioner Bergeron, I'm Pete Mazzetti, thanks, good night, and we'll see you next time.